0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Loop email podcast. I'm so happy that today I can say hello to Karen Cop from New Jersey. Uh, Karen is the chief door opener at Cop Consulting. Uh, it's been named one of the top 50 uh, fastest growing companies in New Jersey. Uh, you've been helping get into companies like uh, p and Merck, Verizon, at and I mean, you name it, Fortune 500, maybe even Fortune 100. Uh, and you have been uh, quoted and, and have uh, contributed to uh, Inc. Magazine, Fortune Magazine, Forbes, Newsweek, and uh, interviewed also on the Wall Street Journal morning radio show. So um, it's a really wonderful uh, uh, CV. Uh, uh, tell me, let's start with, um, you know, uh, where did... Um, the chief door opener come from where did that uh, title come from
1: well, it's it's a very interesting story. I was sitting with a friend of mine uh, several years after I had started Cup Consulting, where we are best known for the door opener service, where we get our clients' executive level appointments that many other people can't get. So that's the, the bulk of what we do. We also train people to do that if they don't want to hire us to do it for them. And we're sitting there with my business card, which had been this really boring uh, blue and white very corporate looking and I had the title president on there and we're sitting there and she said to me you have this great business you do this thing of getting people in the door that most people can't do and yet you call yourself the president that's not really as creative as I think it could be she said you're not just a president you're a you're a you're the chief door opener and it flew out of her mouth and I said to her oh my goodness that's gold so <laughs> since then I've been known as the chief door opener we've actually trademarked that as well as door opener which is not easy to do here in the United States and so we are known as the door openers and and I, have, I am the chief door opener in helping people figure out how to get these difficult doors open because if you if you can't get the door open guess what you don't get to sell anything so you you have to do that part of the job which is really the the most difficult part of sales bar none is getting that door open
0: and, and tell me um, how did you start opening doors what, what happened in what, was there a moment in uh, uh, in your life where you just figured out that's what uh, your clients needed was it sort of a, uh, you know was, was it a situation that happened to you and you just had to find something? How did you sort of start opening doors?
1: Well there were a couple of lightning strikes I have to say. The first one came from someone else but I was 11. The very first door opening job I had, I was 11 years old. And the family that I had been babysitting for owned a lawn doctor franchise. And they said, hey, you have a great phone voice. Why don't you sit at one of these cubicles in our house and make some phone calls and see if you can get some free lawn evaluations for us? And I said, okay, I could do that. But what we found out is that this was just part of my DNA. It, it is very simple for me to do this. I have a process to it, but at that time, I didn't know what the process was. I just knew I could feel my way through a very short conversation and get an outcome that others couldn't get, even at that age. There's a big DNA part of having a door opener who's crackerjack, who could really figure this out for you. And it's one of, actually, the most common missing hires in sales is the door opening function as to did you hire somebody who not only knows how to do it and has experience to it but who also has the dna and wants to spend their time that way the other the other big lightning bolt was when I started the business, and I was thinking of a business kind of like this. And uh, I was talking to somebody in the bathroom of a gym. That was how the the genesis of this the business came. And she said, "Hey, I have a promotion agency. Does anyone want any part time work?" And I said to her, "Listen, I've been in brand management. I've been in business development for a long time. Maybe I'm overqualified. But here's something. Instead of doing administrative work for you, here's something I could do for consulting rate. How?" would it be if I got you in the door with your prospects? And she just looked at me and her jaw dropped. And she said, you could do that? You would do that for me? And I said, sure, I could do that. That's easy for me. And she said, when can you start? And that's when I knew that there was something to this. This is something that not just small businesses struggle with, but all businesses struggle with getting in the door, even if they've hired a lot of very senior level business developers. If those people have been successful, they need to spend their time closing sales, not opening doors, but they must keep the top of the funnel full. Otherwise, six months to a year later, they're going to find themselves with an empty funnel. So it's a really important part of the job. For people, let's say business leaders who are the rainmakers, or they might have one principal seller, how do they figure out where to spend their time? Opening doors seems to always take a a back seat, But the thing is that if you're not nurturing those prospect relationships, somebody else will be in your
0: place. You talk about door openers and, and let's go, you know, uh, I think times have changed and, and today there's a lot of talk about sort of how uh, uh, customers actually find you through the online channels and there's a lot of online channels where you're supposed to meet them and and, and uh, automate their learning and their discovery. Uh, I call it the reverse door opening um, uh, sort of story uh, uh, and, and I know, you know, there's different We've had quite a few discussions, and and the number uh, in one of the last uh, podcasts is that 75% of uh, all sales activities are still sort of traditional, as as people call them, which means uh, calling up, uh, uh, contextualizing, um, uh, uh, getting your way through the door, um, uh, uh, driving the the sales channel, and only 25% is actually what uh, the modern, um, well, the the new age uh, people would say is the online how do, you, how do you sort of look at the online versus the um, traditional uh, world? And how do they, co- they complement? Do they fight? Do they uh, open? Where's your view on you know, these two worlds? Uh, you've got a customer. They come in they say, okay, I've got this online channel. It's half working. I've got my offline, uh, outbound, inbound, all that stuff, and it's sort of half working. And I've got my telesales team, the traditional. So th- there's a mix. How do you start?
1: Yeah, those are actually very interesting statistics too. Because I think if you asked most business leaders and their salespeople, they would wish that it would be ninety-nine percent online and one percent actually picking up the phone and doing the work of creating a relationship. Most people lately are are very short-term focused. They they want to be able to just maybe have one conversation and somebody's going to give them hundred thousand dollars in sales without actually developing a relationship and then the lights come on and you wake up (laughs) because that's not the way business works. Now, when... Ideally, you have both of these things working in tandem. And the online piece of it is really more of a marketing and awareness activity that people are desperate to want to replace sales with those marketing activities. And in some cases, you might be able to. For example, if you're selling, let's say, coffee to an office manager, you may be able to do that in an online fashion with very little of picking up the phone and developing a relationship. But if you need to open up a conversation with a senior-level decision-maker, a senior-level executive, that person is likely not going to respond to online in in absence of any kind of phone or personalized email outreach it's just not going to happen what typically would happen is if that email even makes it or the the advertisement makes it to those executive level decision makers they're going to forward that to somebody on their staff and say hey take a look into this which is not terrible it's it's an okay way to go but if what you need to do is open up a conversation with an executive-level individual, it's not going to be the, the be-all and the end-all. In fact, they themselves report that if somebody wants to establish a relationship with them, they will say, because I've interviewed executives in prior to making my speeches for other organizations, and they will tell you, if you want a relationship with me, do your research. Say something that's valuable to me. And I will respond to you. But if you say something that's not valuable to me, or if you say something that was meant for 999 other people, I know it and I don't like it. That's not the way to create a relationship with me or a conversation. If you want a relationship, do your research, say something that's meant just for me, and then we're going to have a conversation about that and most people don't want to do that kind of work that there's two points to that one is that requires work and it's a it's a different cadence of a sale. It's a slow dance. Business development is a slow dance. And people don't want to slow dance. They want a fast dance, right? But <laughs> what's worse than that is that management is encouraging sellers to fast dance and to circumvent what's necessary in terms of creating a relationship with these executive level people to the point where they may lay a wonderful foundation for the competitive Competitor who is willing to slow dance and come in and create a relationship that works. That's what's criminal is that they're spending time, but they're not spending enough time and they're not doing enough of the quality relationship building activities that would actually help them get to success.
0: And in terms of um, you know your organization and, and sort of your main DNA in terms of door opening and the process behind door opening, is there something you've discovered uh, and, and, you know, in and, and, and the past few years that has changed Is is, are the basics the same? And what are those basics? Where's the, what's the magic sauce? You know, we all know there's a lot of work and there's a lot of research. <laughs> and I know you don't want to tell us all about all the uh, but if, if, if you are. Listening-
1: oh, I'll tell you everything. Oh, that's, that's I'll tell you perfect. everything, because the thing is that for the people who will actually do it, this is going to help you be successful. But most people are not going to do it. That's why I don't mind telling people everything, because they're still going to hire us because they don't want to put in the work or they don't have the time to put in the work that's necessary. So there are five planks to door opening success. This is one of my signature seminars. The first plank is the right target. Now that might sound pretty obvious to you like, duh, who wouldn't choose the right people? Well, actually, a lot of people don't choose the right people. They throw these lists together without a whole lot of thought. And then they spend time throwing activity without a lot of thought against these people and then wonder why they don't have a result. So when when we talk about target, for the people that you're looking to to talk to, let's Bring that wide group into a very narrow group of people who will find you to be the obvious solution, who will willingly pay what you want to charge for your services, and who also feel some sort of urgency. That's one of the things, actually, that's changed, is urgency. People may have problems to solve, but they are not going to take a meeting with you unless they're willing to spend time and money to solve the problem so if people can really think that through they may talk about their their what they offer differently than they would if they just figured well everybody who's out there has problems and they want to hear how to solve them not true uh, about three years ago, there was a huge shift in people just wanting to know resources out there versus people who would only clear their ta- their calendars for things that they're going to spend time and money to solve. So that's different. The second plank is the right message. And I don't mean the marketing message here. This is a sales message. People confuse the two of them and they work a lot on their marketing message, their value proposition, what they say to the masses. What I'm talking about here is sales message. This is a blind spot. What is the spoken word? What is the, the written word to one person who, who that would move that person from his or her place, this one place? to the next. And if the words that you choose are not working hard enough for you in getting your prospects to move from one place to the next, it's time to slow down and think about that. We have two trademarks in developing sales language that works. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about, is this word or that word going to work harder for you in terms of getting the right doors open? The third plank is the ans- the right answers for objections. Notice the word right in every one of these planks, (laughs) because people may have answers for the objections, but if they're not the right answers, what's the point, right? So you have to have the right answers. Sometimes the best answers for objections are in the form of questions, and people don't really think about that. They just have one answer for that, but if it doesn't truly answer the objection, you're going nowhere. The fourth plank is the right door opener. Who's doing this work on your behalf? Most leaders, if they think about the person who's responsible for getting new doors open, they'll probably tell you it's not the best person to get that door open. Very few sellers are in the right spot. And here's here's the blind spot, is that people will hire a hunter and think a hunter is a hunter is a hunter, right? But The thing is that there are different kinds of hunters. There are some that are really great at going on a meeting and closing a sale. We call those the closers. And there are other hunters who are really great they got it in their DNA, just like I found out when I was 11, that I just had it in my DNA to get these right doors open with people I don't know. Those we call the openers. It's rare in my experience to find one person who's equally great at both opening and closing. So when somebody makes a choice as to who they're going to hire or who they're going to assign the job of getting these doors open, it's critical to really be honest about whether they're openers or closers. They don't always tell you that in the interview, right? Some people don't really know what they are or what they aren't, but it's really important that if you need to get doors open, you have somebody who has the DNA and the chops to get that done. And then the fifth one is the execution right? So the right person has to be doing the right activities. Is it a phone call? Is it an email? How are you developing a relationship with the assistant? How are you doing the research before you actually pick up the phone and call someone? And I could talk about that for days, Like that's not why we're here. But actually, the biggest blind spot when it comes to execution is time. Most people are not putting in enough time in the course of a week and consistently doing that to make a difference in getting the right doors open. And that's one of the reasons why if if your sales team doesn't have enough time to consistently focus on getting these doors open, considering outsourcing to a group like ours makes a lot of sense.
0: There's a lot of interesting sort of uh, uh, points I'd like to pick uh, uh, there. Uh, but the, the first one is really... Um, I, I get the five uh, uh, planks, and, and I get the um, you know why they're important. But if you if, if if we look at sort of you know the channels, you've got email, you've got uh, phone calls, uh, you've got um, you know you've, you've actually got personal uh, personal mail uh, that I've heard lately has become in some circumstances very very efficient a very efficient way of 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 getting people to. Yes, um,
1: because you have a higher share of voice because a lot of other people
0: aren't using exactly. it.
1: Handwritten notes, exactly. yes. And
0: and so mm-hmm. so looking at those, what I call traditional, and that's not in a bad sense. I think there's a lot of, you know, movement into the new stuff uh, uh, that's given an opportunity to do trad- the traditional stuff. If you have this traditional, Europe is very much a B2B a business, uh, uh, local, um, uh, family-run, uh, small to medium-sized and, and I, I talk with them and they listen to us and, and what, what I constantly hear is, you know, where do I start? And and there's no better place to start but improve the traditional stuff they're doing every day. So where do these entrepreneurs, founders actually get the best uh, 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 return on investment if they want to try to do something because they're getting pushed into doing the di- digital stuff, which is hard and new and, and 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 sort of they'll take time. And I always say, you know, there's the traditional stuff you could be doing much better that I'm sure you know is closer to what you know how to do. So where do they start? What what do you sort of suggest to those?
1: Well, aside from calling me and asking me this question, which I'd be happy to answer for them and they don't have to hire us to do anything, it would be my privilege to be able to save them some time and to avoid blind spots in the sales process. So that's the first thing. The second thing is they can pick up my book, Biz Dev Done Right, which is an Amazon bestseller, all about the blind spots in the sales process that keep people from the success they should have. But let's say they're not going to call me. Let's say they're not going to buy my book just yet. What can they do? The very first thing is identify what you want. What kind of business do you really want? If you want to swim upstream and you want bigger deals, you're not going to replicate your current client base. You're not going to do the things you've done before. So you have to identify what you want. If what you want means you have to talk to an executive level decision maker, you're going to have to have the traditional aspects of selling as part of your mix, and you have to do them well. If you had to make a choice, I would prefer you do those well before you start improving the online aspects of what you're doing. Because if the online aspects are just going to be forwarded to a lower level person to investigate, you'll never get the open conversation going with the decision maker. So it really all comes down to what kind of sale do you want? Do you want one and done? Do you want an annuity? Do you have a point of entry that would lead you to many different decision makers? And then you can work backwards from the kind of sale you want to how to get that. Most of the time, people have not really done that. What kind of sale do I want? But if you do that and then you take a look at your activities, it will become very clear to you whether your activities are going to lead you to that prom- promised land.
0: And, you know, the, the, and, and I actually think you're totally right that the best starting point is to ask the questions. I always ask, you know, can can an entrepreneur ask himself the right questions and be honest about the answers without having somebody from the outside helping. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: It, well, that's where the blind yes. spots are. There's a lot of blind spots. In and, this. and
0: and so, so yeah. the, the, the question to you is, um, you know, how can you and I help them understand how important it is to invest into people helping them out? Because I think that's what the biggest blind spot is. Uh, the biggest blind spot is people are, traditionally sort of inclined to think about change, but they don't do change because they don't want to invest in change because they don't know what the results will be. They know what they know. And, and so, and, and I know this is sort of a door opener in some sense, but how do you sort of get these people to understand that probably the best they can be doing today beyond listening to this is then actually calling you up and say, okay, so where do we start? Uh, um, you know, what what can we do? What what is What is that... Uh, 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 process uh, behind that—that that, uh, uh, removing that blind spot before they call you or they call somebody to to help them out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really great question that you ask, and we've been in this business for 20 years. So I've talked to so many different kinds of business leaders and everybody wants more. Usually they do, if they hit my doorstep, they do, and it's not easy to get, everybody wants more, but not everybody is willing to do what it takes To get more. And that's true, whether it means hiring somebody outside, like you or me to help them, or whether it's just they themselves have to do things that are different. But actually, I was working out this morning, and every day at the gym, they put a, up a quote, and I want to read you the quote from this morning. It says, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Jim Rohn said <laughs> that. And I I find that to be true, not only of Working out, (laughs) but also of business development and really doing what's necessary in order to achieve success. I find so much ready, fire, aim out there, and I find very little ready, aim, fire Mm -hmm. out there. But if you take the time to do ready, aim, when you finally do fire, you're more likely to get what you were hoping to get. But people don't want to spend the time. And I think to your question, there are some people who just never will. They'll just complain to their business owner friends and their business leader friends. I should have more. And it's that guy's fault that I don't, or I should have more. And I just am not getting it and year after year. But there are other people who are going to say, okay, listen, this is what we got last year. What I want to get next year is different. I know I have to do something different if I want something different. I know I'm going to have to invest, whether it's their own time or in someone else's time, in order to have something they can't get if they just do things the way they've always had them. But so the big question is, do you want, do you want to achieve something different? And the second thing is, in what time frame? Because you can try all sorts of different things, but if you try something without having expert advice up front, there could be a blind spot and six months from now we're going to have the same conversation. We might as well know early on, is this initiative, is this going to get you to the the goals that you've set out for yourself? And if not, then don't do them. Do something different. But, you know, you have people have to be willing to sit down and have that conversation. And not everybody is. They're just moving too fast. And,
0: and what do you sort of, um, uh, you know, your, your 20 years of experience, what's the hit rate? Is it one in five get it or five in 10 get it or one in 50 get it? What's the average over over the time frame in, uh, from your perspective without giving me any details? But it's like sort of what is, you know, do you see more and more? Let's, Let's not even talk about the absolute number, but but is the trend that more and more people are willing to change because they today they know they have to change to get it done, and they're willing to invest more because they know otherwise they're not gonna. Or is it going the other way direction? You know, oh, there's a crisis in front of us. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna sort of uh, wait and 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 see and and outlive it, and then we'll see what happens next. What direction is 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 the market moving?
1: I I see people. As I said before, with a very short term focus, if it's not, let's say somebody has a year long sales cycle, they may say to their management, okay, I I'm going to deliver you X number of new sales within four months without realizing that that math could never work. If you have a, a year-long sales cycle and you start with a relatively empty pipeline, how is it possible with that math that you're going to, to deliver sales within four months? So it there is a short-term focus out there, but here's what's really important about that is that with those few companies where the leaders and their salespeople are not so focused on the short-term that they forget about actually developing a relationship, they are going to eat everybody's lunch, because they're willing to do it properly. And the other company isn't. And so who's going to win over that decision maker in the end, the one that's a short term focus is not spending enough time to actually develop a relationship with somebody to the point where they're they're going to say yes, the other one is in it for the long haul and doing the right activities to develop the relationship so that when the decision maker is ready to go, they they will find them to be the obvious and hopefully, only solution out there. And that's when you really have filled your pipeline and you can keep going. The important part of once you've done that is to continually feed the top of that funnel so that you have many sales flowing out the bottom in in terms of closes. What most people do is as short-term focus, they throw a lot against the wall. They hope something sticks. When something sticks, they work on that to the exclusion of new. And then they end up with these uh, unfortunate peaks and valleys in their revenue generation, which creates a a very unstable situation for a company.
0: Uh, Talking about, because uh, uh, I'm I'm sure our um, listeners want to also understand, you know, okay, so I get it, it. I'm here for the long term. I you know building a relationship takes time uh takes research takes uh personalization takes all the stuff we talked about but how am i gonna figure out that i'm sort of progressing towards the goal that should come up in better sales in a year's time what what are the kpis you look at and and you see happen over and over again are you sort of activity based are you uh, uh is there anything in in relationships? Do you measure uh, is there anything unique in, in the KPI or are we talking traditional you know kPIs that uh, uh, most uh, 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 sales organizations set up
1: Well, the the traditional KPIs are important to look at, but there are blind spots within those KPIs that we should talk about. And then also there are what I call leading indicator KPIs that most sales managers don't tend to watch that I feel are significantly important so that you can adjust as you're going through the process of developing these relationships. You'll be able to aggregate data, see what's going on and adjust, adjust what you're doing. So for example, uh, one great leading indicator KPI when you're doing door opening is watching the percentage of a certain type of objection. Right? So let's say you're, you're, Contacting a thousand executives, or let's say a, mm-hmm. let's say a hundred. Let's make it smaller. Let's say you're contacting a hundred executives, and as you're reaching out to them, some are saying yes to meetings if you're saying something that's really valuable to them, uh, some are saying not now, and some are saying thanks anyway. We've got it covered. So if you're getting a tremendous amount of not interested, we've got it covered. Thanks anyway. Uh, what will happen in the CRM? is that the you know remember crms are self-reported information mm-hmm. so if a seller is doing something incorrectly and doesn't realize it how will you ever find that out and that's what leading indicator kpis will help the leaders understand so let's say they're getting a, an unusually high percentage of people saying no thank you not interested got it covered well then it's time to take a look at A, the message, what are you saying that's leading into that conversation That or writing in an email that would have that executive saying that so often or that kind of executive saying this so often? When you get that that objection, what are people actually saying as the response? Because there's probably something there that needs to be tweaked. If that is crackerjack and it's right on, we may need to back up a little bit and take a look at the target. If you're not getting enough people interested, you may not be saying something that's of interest to them, but you may not be talking to people who have a big enough need where they would spend time or money to learn more about this. You may need to adjust something in the target. If that's Cracker Jack, then we need to back up a little bit more and find out about this offering. What is it that this addressable market is not that interested in this offering? So the leading indicator KPI is really for management to take a look at, okay, we're getting too many people saying this, something in the strategy needs to be adjusted. But what typically happens out there is that people will just throw a prospect list together, use a fill in the blank kind of message, if they even use a message at all. Most people are just having their salespeople sit with somebody who was kind of successful at one point. Point and without internalizing any of that and be able to repeat what that person's doing and, and the likelihood of that is pretty low. And then they're not watching what happens after they launch to find out what needs to be tweaked. It's important that they're paying attention to that. That's an example of a leading indicator KPI.
0: And um, when when you sort of uh, look at those leading indicators, uh, do you allow sort of the sales guys to take them over or do you basically find channels to whoever you're talking with that are sort of uh, independent so that you can make sure that the, 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 the feedback you're getting is is validated or is, is because there is the sense that you normally get if, 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 if the sales guys are entering the data you, you tend to get uh, information that sometimes gets a little bit uh, 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 as I call it meddled or uh, noisy.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, that's where management comes in, right? Like some people when I'm doing seminars, management will say to me, how do I get my people to input in the CRM? And I tell them job security. That's really how you do it. It's, it is a mandate from okay. above. And it's really important that there is one uniform language that everybody is using. A lead is a lead is a lead. And it's everybody's got their own language and that's fine as long as everybody your sales team is using the same language, otherwise your management reports are going to be okay. useless. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is self-reported information is not bad. It's, it's okay, that is the nature of business development and using a CRM as long as you have these leading indicator KPIs so that management can pull the information and have a usable report so that they could say, okay, th- there's, this is too high a percentage. Now it's time to start looking at this, I think it's fine to train your salespeople to self-diagnose. That's awesome. Let's let's do that. But most people don't because they don't really think about diagnosis all that much. But then invest in somebody who's going to help them, who knows what they're doing, who can help them pull to get to a place of proficiency, so that the time they're spending on business development is going to achieve optimal outcomes.
0: Uh, I always have this question. Um, You know, and I know we touched it. What can an entrepreneur, a business owner, do on Monday? And and I understand one is ask the questions, and then second is uh, read your book, call you up, or call somebody up to help. Uh, We get that part. But are you sure that's it? Is that sort of the um, uh, advice, uh, the uh, sort of the, the best advice uh, we're we're giving them? And I'm not saying it's not good advice because I, I really do think it's 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 very good. But but if there's this entrepreneur that wants to do something on Monday, and and needs to start somewhere, is there something he has to do with his team or does he have to, the, the, anything that he has to do with sort of internally be f- to prepare for that kind of a situation that he does beforehand? Uh, uh, or, or not, or is really the thing starting with uh, homework in the head, and and preferably with somebody from the outside because that gives some kind of um, external perspective to, uh, to the world.
1: Well, strategy always comes before execution. And most times people are skipping what they need to do with strategy, or maybe they did it five years ago. But things have changed in the last five years. And what worked five years ago does not work today. I mean, we have a company of of high-level door openers. I have 19 people who are doing this every day. I can tell you what works and what doesn't work. But if people haven't changed what they're doing from five years ago, there, there are things that they need to be doing differently. So strategy must preempt execution. If the business leader comes in on Monday and sits down and identifies, what do I want? Where is my business going to come from in the next year to two years? That would be step one. Step two is identify as as much as you can. Are the activities uh, that your sales team is doing and the structure of your sales team going to get you what you have identified is is what you want? Because I think we can make the assumption most people are not getting everything they want even if they're getting lots yeah. I always I say do you want more and everybody's like yeah let's have some more okay great well that has to do with efficiency if you want more you need efficiencies within what you're doing how are you going to get that so the the strategy must come first and if they're going to do anything on Monday morning I would say sit down close your door and identify what you want not what the market tells you you should have what do you want Right. And then is your current sales team and their current activities going to help you to achieve that? And if there is a delta between those two things, then the next step is going to be what is that delta and how will you fill it? And there is a lot of different ways to go depending on what you diagnose is the reason why you're not getting what you want. Sometimes it's as as simple as you didn't tell your team what you Mm -hmm. wanted. So they're going after what they think you want and delivering something else because they weren't really clear on what you wanted in the first place or what you wanted might've changed. And they don't know.
0: Uh, I always uh, uh, finish up with uh, actually two questions. And one is give me a, um, do you have any uh, nice example of a big, um, I wouldn't call it learning. Let's call it a learning where you thought you, 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 you basically figured it out, you were doing something, and then you figured out, oh, I really messed up. There was some something in that process that we didn't see. So you had your blind spot, and as, as a result, um, the outcome wasn't what, what you wanted. Uh, I think these learnings from the positives are important, but I think the the, the learnings from big learnings, as I call them, uh, are also. So is there any big learning uh, in, in the last five years that you had that sort of Wow, you you know you discovered your blind spot uh, in the in the process that you would, you could share with our listeners
1: well that's that's a really interesting question. So you hit me with a really thought provoking one right at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, business is changing all the time, and uh, you think you think the promised land is over here, and then it's really not. And uh, there, there are blind spots everywhere. I would say it, it wasn't necessarily in the last five years. It was before ah, that, if I could use that example, because right. I think this one might really help people. As we were scaling our business, because we've we've been on the Inc 5000 twice here in the United States, and uh, that kind of scaling comes with having to do things a little differently uh, in terms of how you deliver uh, your product and service. And um, as we were scaling, I originally thought that I can continue to hire these senior level business developers who were Cracker Jack and got it in their DNA to open these doors, and I can hand them the entire project, including figuring out what the sales message was, and then opening the doors. And as we were scaling, it was becoming obvious to me that not they might be great at getting the door open, but they weren't always great at figuring out what those, those gem phrases were that would get those doors that pique the interest of people who had no time Mm -hmm. to knock three people off their calendar and make room for our client. Like that, that's when we started trademarking some of these processes associated with sales language. But what was in my blind spot is that I thought that every great door opener could be a great sales messaging strategist. And I was wrong. And so as we, as we grew, it occurred to me that I needed to separate these two functions, kind of like separating door opening from Mm -hmm. going on the meeting and closing the sale. Let's take a look at door opening under a magnifying glass. And we needed to separate sales messaging strategy from door opening and have somebody who had slightly different DNA to really take a hard look at what were the right kinds of groups of people, but not in a simple way like size of company, level of decision maker, geography, like all those things are really easy. But then what additional layers and filters do we put on to get to groups of people who would feel more urgency? And then what do you say, words, phrases, questions that would get those people? to say huh even though i already know someone who does what you do i already have a vendor who's probably doing somewhat somewhat okay Something you said makes me feel like I need to remove three people from my calendar and make this a priority for me to have this conversation. Because in the last couple of years, sales messaging is more and more important and fewer and fewer people are spending time, the necessary time to find those right words and phrases. But what we know is when you say the right words to the right people the doors open sooner and sales close faster so when i was scaling it was it was a blind spot it it was an enormous surprise to me almost as big a surprise to me as it is to people when i say you may need an opener and closer. a closer as two separate people. And that's like, and then they think, oh, why didn't I think of that? That's exactly right. Well, that that's kind of the way it is with the messaging strategy. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense that these are slightly different skill sets. But it was in my blind spot and we had to correct for it. It took, I, I probably failed three times before we got it right uh, in terms of yes. process, in terms uh-huh. of people. Now we have a sales messaging training program internally for ourselves as people step into that role what is it that we could do to take this job to the next level because this job doesn't exist anywhere across industries people might do it for their own company but they don't do it for many and that's what we have to be able
0: to do and and my last question is what does karen do when she's not sort of uh, opening doors and discovering (laughs) blind spots for others (laughs)
1: yeah well I like I like to travel and I like to spend time with my family I have uh, my husband a dog and two children Uh, my children don't live in New Jersey because they've graduated college Uh, so one of them lives in DC my daughter Jamie and my son lives in Texas and he works for AT&T and uh, uh, both in some aspect of sales <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and opening doors for themselves and for for the companies that they they represent but i like to spend time with them i probably my favorite times are when we're all together in one room just laughing and having a great time
0: uh how can our listeners uh, get what's the best way of getting in contact with you
1: Yes, they could visit our website and go to the Contact Us form. It's www.kopconsultingusa.com, K-O-P-P consultingusa.com. Fill out that contact form. It'll find its way to me. And if you have a question about whether your activities and your strategy is going to get you what you want, just call me. We'll have a short conversation. It's not going to cost you anything. And then I'll make the recommendations that will help you uh, to succeed. You can definitely get in contact with me that way. Or uh, take a look at BizDev Done Right, the book on Amazon. And uh, I hope to to be hearing from everybody.
0: Thank you Karen very much. I would I would say um, you know I, I I I sort of say you know what is the one liner I always there's always a one liner. I'm not saying that there's a lot of uh, valuable information but uh, you know, discover the blind spots, uh, look for the blind spots. Uh, they, they, uh, they can, uh, you know, finding the blind spots quickly enough before you it's too late is, is, is a very important aspect of your homework. And uh, and, and, if you do it with uh, outside help, it normally helps because you find the right uh, blind spots as well because you could be looking at the wrong ones. So, Sharon, uh, uh, thank you very much. It was a, a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I hope you'll have a wonderful day in lovely New Jersey. Thank you.
1: Thank you and you as well.